All right, well, beautiful singing. Welcome to Red Village. I've not met you. I'm Aaron, and I'm the preaching pastor here, and we're uh, delighted you're with us on this uh, cool fall morning. So if you have a Bible with you, if you'd open up to the book of 1 Samuel. Today our text of study will be chapter 29 of 1 Samuel. So what I'm going to do here, I'm going to read the first uh, five verses of this passage, 1 Samuel 29. I'm going to pray, ask for the Lord's blessing on our time, and then we will get to work uh, through this text. So 1 Samuel 29. Please hear uh, the words of our Lord. So the Bible says, Now the Philistines had gathered all the forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. As the Lord of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish. The commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, This is not David, the servant of Saul, the king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years. And since he deserted to me, I found no fault in him to this day. The commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back, that he may return to the place which you assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he becomes an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the head of the men here? Is this not David, of whom they sing to one another in, in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. So that's God's word for us this morning. Let's pray. Lord, it's good to be around your word. And Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak uh, through your word even through uh, my folly. Oh, Lord, please help me to be a good communicator. Please help the congregation be good listeners. Pray that your word would penetrate our hearts and use time to conform us into the image and likeness of Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I've mentioned a few times through our study for Samuel that a good portion of the Psalms that we love, these are Psalms written by David during the events that we actually have been reading through, which I do think adds some depth to the Psalms where we see David had to endure some very difficult challenges, including like these ongoing attacks on his life by King Saul. That even through these heavy, ongoing challenges in the Psalms, the Psalms of David, they're filled with these great words of praise towards God. As David gives this model, trying to set your heart towards the Lord through the challenges that come our way. I mean, what, what a great model, what a great example for us when we meet various trials of, uh, of, trials of various kinds. Now, the Psalm I'm about to read you here doesn't give us any indication on when it was written, in terms of the timeline of David's life, or the particular challenge that we, he was uh, enduring at the time of this psalm. Well, I do think the sentiments of this psalm, I do think, set us up for the passage today and the challenge that David would face in today's text. So this is from Psalm 109. I'm just going to read just the first three verses. So it says this, Be, be not silent, O God, of my praise. For wicked and deceitful mouths are open against me, speaking against me with lying tongues, they encircle me with words of hate and attack me without cause. It's mentioned a timeline and events related to the psalm have been lost to history. But said again, these words of Psalm 109, and I do think capture the sentiments that David surely was feeling during our passage today in 1 Samuel 29, where we'll see that David, what he's saying, uh, things are said about him, where he felt that like he was actually being attacked, falsely accused, where his uh, integrity was being questioned uh, without cause, which I'm sure challenges in different levels all of us here this morning can identify with. 
where there have been times where we felt that we had false accusations put on us, where others have questioned us uh, without cause. Now, before we get into this text today, let me quickly set the context for the passage. And how I want to start that is by starting in verse, uh, or, uh, 1 Samuel 26. We're in that passage for the second time, David spared Saul's life, even though, as mentioned, Saul was seeking to take David's life. And this action in chapter 6 was part of ongoing good that David was doing, particularly towards Saul, who was clearly not doing good towards him. As mentioned a few weeks back, we went through chapter 26. This ongoing good that David is doing, this had to leave him feeling weary. I mean, for us, can you imagine how hard it had to be for David? You know, to be on the run for years, having his uh, multiple attempts on his life by Saul, lots of hardship he had to endure. Yet David is seeking to continue to do good to, to that very person who was making his life miserable. Right? David had to be weary in doing good. Especially because it didn't seem like any of his good was paying off. So there had to be a temptation that all his good is being done in vain. Which is basically what we read at the start of chapter 27, the following chapter, where we read that eventually in his weariness, uh, David started to crash. And he went from being weary to being defeated, discouraged, where it just felt like in the text in chapter 27 that David is like completely burnt out. Like he just could not do it anymore. So the good that he was doing didn't seem to be doing actually any good. So he was convinced it was just a matter of time before Saul eventually would catch up to him and kill him. So in chapter 27, David, in his burnout, we read what he did. It's often what we do when we're burned out. He got stuck in his own head, started to take counsel in his own heart. There's always our symptoms of burnout, where we get so far in our own heads, we make poor, irrational decisions, which certainly is true of David, chapter 27. We're in his own head. He didn't trust the Lord, uh, his word, he didn't trust the promises of God, these things really started to wane in David's heart. So like in previous chapters, for Samuel, we remember David standing up for the Lord, showing deep trust in the promises that God made to him. He was doing so in ways that even the Lord is uh, using David to inspire others to do the same. But then chapter 27, once again, in his burnout, David's like struggling to trust God's good word to him. A good word that included where the Lord previously told David that he was to stay in Israel even though Saul was seeking to kill him. So David was in his own head as he was struggling to trust God's word. You may remember he made the foolish, irrational decision, one of disobedience, and he left Israel. And not only did David leave Israel, we were left that David, or read that David left Israel to actually go into the enemy's land of Israel, the Philistines. And because David is so far into his own head, he was convinced it was just a matter of time, you know, that before Saul would kill him, that this actually would be his best option, his safest option, to to go right into the stronghold of the hated enemies, the Philistines. So in his burnout, David, right, he's not thinking right, he's not acting right. Like, he's just twisted around. In the text, as David headed into the land of the Philistines, he just made some more, like, odd, confusing decisions. You can remember back to that passage. Uh, to start, he decided to hire himself out to the Philistine king named Achish, who's in our text today, where he'd become like a, for, uh, a mercenary or a soldier of fortune for this man. And he did this even though Achish was the very person just a few chapters prior David ran from in order to save his own life. Then to go further in his burnout, David made an odd, confusing decision of a desire to actually plant roots and stay in the land of the Philistines. So to go live out in the country in a place called Ziklag, Right, the great, inspiring character for so much of 1 Samuel, by the time we get to chapter 7, he's looking so different. He's making decisions that just seem foolish, odd, like out of character. Which reminds us, even the best of us can fall prey to burnout. 
even the best of us, we can fall prey to falling in or stuck in our own heads. We can all make uh, foolish decisions that just don't add up, which is why we need rest. Right? We can't always be on the go. Well, keep going, chapter 27, as you remember. About halfway through the chapter, it seemed like the fog or burnout started to lift a little bit for David. And it seemed like David started to recognize, recognize that he put himself into a, a real pickle. So at the end of chapter 7, it appears like David's like almost trying to like weasel his way out of his foolish decision, doing so using like his own cunning ability, which probably is an indication the fog had not fully lifted yet for him. David was seeking to trust in himself to find his way out rather than trusting in the Lord. And how David was trying to weasel his way out was by trying to be deceitful to Achish. And he's being deceitful on what he was actually up to as a soldier of fortune, communicating maybe some half-truths to him. And as David is being deceitful towards Achish, really he was pretty successful. And Achish began to see David as like a lifelong loyal servant to him. And so that was chapter 27. Then chapter 28, which you may remember centered on the downfall of Saul, who was so afraid of the Philistines who were on the attack that Saul went to seek the counsel of a, of a witch or a median. That's at the center of chapter 28. But the start of that chapter, you may remember, which is important for our context today, is that Achish was part of the Philistine attack that Saul was so afraid of. And as Achish is on this attack, naturally he brought David, his most trusted servant, along with him to be a soldier of fortune. Okay, so that's the context of our passage today. Achish getting David to help fight against Israel. We're assuming in our text today, David is at least somewhat entertaining that idea. There's probably another indication to us that the fog of burnout had not fully lifted uh, for David. Seems like today he's still a little bit twisted around in his own head, his own heart. So that being said, if you want to look back with me in our text, starting in verse 1. If you have a Bible with you, just keep them open. We're just going to work through verse by verse. So the Philistine army, we see this massive army, they were in Aphek. And Saul and his army were in the spring of Jezreel. Now the point of interest in these locations seemed to indicate that the author for Samuel is actually backtracking a bit in the storyline of the book meaning that the historical timelines of chapter 29 actually seem to be before what happened in chapter 28. So maybe think like what a movie might do sometimes to help tell a story, where we might like see an event only for the movie. They take us back in time just a little bit to show us some of the things that's happening that led up to the event. feels like a little bit that's what's happening here because of locations, although I should mention here there's a little debate on uh, the events of when the historical order took place. So however you end up on that debate, it doesn't affect the application of the text, just a point of interest. Verse 2, as the Philistines were in their camp, we read that the lords, or like the military leaders, were organizing their military into different companies uh, by hundreds and thousands, right? this, this massive army. And as the various lords were organizing the military into their camp to get a better handle of the army that they had, we see that David and his men were there. And they're there, like, bringing up the rear with uh, the aforementioned Achish, as David was marching with the army. And we see that as David is marching with the army, not all were excited to have David among their ranks. We see that in verse 3. As the commanders started to question, complain among themselves, hey, what are the Hebrews doing here? Like, why are they among us? Like, how is this Okay. And as the commanders started to question, as they started to complain, we see that these complaints made its way to the ear of Achish, which caused Achish now to stand up and to try to defend his assumed loyal, trustworthy servant. So text, end of verse 3. Commanders, like you know who this is. 
Is this not David, the servant of Saul, the king of Israel? You know, David, the one who left Saul, who left Israel? You know, the one who deserted to me? The one who has been with me now for days and years? You know, the David who's been with me a very long time for me to get to know him? Well, commanders, in that length of time, since he deserted Saul to come to me, over the entire length of time, I found no fault in him to this day. David has been the model servant. He's innocent of anything wrong you're accusing him of. Remember the text, even though Achish was a man of power and influence who vouched for David, we see the commanders were not convinced. They were not swayed by Achish and his thoughts about David. In fact, if you see in verse 4, we see the commanders became like angry at Achish for standing up to David, angry at them for even questioning like, their wisdom. So we read that in their anger, the commanders basically clapped back at Achish. Achish, we don't want to hear this. Uh, we don't care that he served you for that length of time and that you found no fault in him. We want you to send this man back. Send him back to the place which you assigned him. Like, send him back to the area of Ziklag, back in the land of the Philistines. Because Achish, we're telling you right now, we are not going to let David go into battle with us. That ain't happening. And it's not happening no matter what you tell us. Because Achish, let us tell you what we think is going to happen. In fact, what we're convinced will happen. If we let David go with us into battle, his true colors will be revealed. And in that battle, our text tells us that David will actually become an adversary to us and fight against us. Achish, don't be so naive. Don't you see how this is going to help David reconcile himself to Saul, his lord? Don't you think whatever like tension is happening between David and Saul, this is going to go away, when our text tells us, when David comes to Saul with our heads? Now, this year, this is probably reference to what happened in chapter 17. Remember that story? The great story of David and Goliath. So after David struck down the giant Goliath with a stone, remember how he went over to the head of the giant? And as a spoiler war, he cut off the head and brought it back to Israel. So in the text, the commander is saying, surely this is what David will do to us. Like he will churn on us. He'll become an adversary to us if we allow him to go into battle. Verse 5, after all, Achish, like you said, is this not David? Great, mighty, warrior David? Is this not David who has been on the winning end of so many battles against us? You know, the David, the, the very one who over in Israel like are singing and dancing to a song that we despise. So text tells us, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And now for us, let's just be mindful. It seems likely, you know, like the people that David struck down in previous battles against the Philistines, you know, these people are breaking up the Philistine camp, is breaking it up, you know, into you know, the different uh, sections. Like, they don't have, like, family members, friends, maybe brothers, fathers, who David killed. Like, this is who they are now pushing back against. They do not want David with him. I heard the scene. You know, Achish is telling the army, link arms with this very David. You know, we can understand why they want nothing to do with him. You know, in fact, this week, as I think about it, it's actually a little surprising that they didn't kill David right then and there. It almost seemed like it was like gracious to actually send him back home. 
Verse 6, as Achish received the pushback, we read that he called David over to himself, just to catch David up on what's taking place. So we read, Achish said to David, David, as the Lord lives, I have to be honest, David, it seems right that you should march out and march in with me into the camp. Because David, really, over the years, I found nothing wrong with you from the day you first came to me to this very day. Nevertheless, David, I need you to understand, the Lords don't approve of you. No, just a couple of thoughts here. It is a little interesting how Achish appeared to the Lord. See what he says in the text? He's saying, as the Lord lives. So, so maybe this is an indication at some point Achish actually tried or started to trust in the Lord over against the false gods of the Philistines. You know, maybe David was a witness to him and Achish like, repented and believed. However, it seems probably more likely is Achish is like, simply trying to add on David's God onto the list of gods he already had. So it's often referred to as like pluralism, which, which biblically does not work. Second, just a reminder of the intro. intro. So even though Achish is like saying how uh, innocent David has been, like we remember, David actually was not fully honest with him. He was telling Achish that how he was attacking one area as a soldier of fortune, but in reality, he was actually attacking a different area. Now, I'm sure that many, perhaps all other areas of David's life and his relationship with Achish, he was honest, he was upright, but David's not completely blameless. So, so we're going to come back to this at the end. Keep going, verse 7. David, because the Lord's do not approve of you, you need to head back home. And as you do tell, David, listen, I know that you're a fighter, in the text, but please, you must go back peacefully. David, don't fight against them. Just accept this, what it is. Because if you fight against them, you're only going to further displease the lords of the Philistines. Now, as David hears all this, he's, he's frustrated. Uh, the words of Psalm 109 read earlier, like he feels like he's being like wrongly accused, unfairly treated, attacked without cause. So he responds back, okay, Achish, but what have I done? Tell me, what have you found in your servant from the day I entered into your service? You know, those days, those years I've been with you. Like, tell me, what's, what's the reason I can't go with you and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king? And basically, Achish, this is not fair. This is not just. Like, this is me being wronged here. These are false accusations that should be dismissed, not entertained. Verse 9, Achish, back to David. Once again, David, I know you're blameless in my sight as an angel of God, so, so don't be mad at me. I'm not the one accusing you. I'm just a messenger. Nevertheless, David, the commanders of the Philistines, they said firmly, you're not to go. No, nothing is going to change your mind. They, they are incredibly clear. You, David, shall not go into battle with us. And really, David, at this point, there's nothing I can do to convince him otherwise. Verse 10, so David, please heed what I'm asking you to do. I want you to rise early in the morning and peaceably depart as soon as we see the light. Understand, David, the sooner you're able to head home, the better it will be for everyone. We, this is just a fight we can't win. With that, verse 11, David did as he's told and set his men out early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines while the rest of the army went up to Jezreel which ends the text for this morning. Now, a few weeks back, we mentioned we started a, a, a women's study called Simeon Trust. 
which is a video series that helps give um, like tools on how to best like interpret the scripture. And by the way, if there's any women here who are still interested in that study, we'd, we'd love for you to join us. And if you can't make it on the time we have on Wednesday morning, that's okay. Talk to me. We might be able to get some other options to accommodate you. This is, this is really a helpful study. And in this study, this Dominion Trust study, one of the ongoing encouragements is for us to be like good Bible readers by like understanding God's word, by understanding like the context, the context when it's written. So before like we jump into our own context, is first understand it in its own context. So to understand like what's the author's intent of the passage. And then kind of tied to that, what are like the original readers? How have they understood the passage? And that's really important for us to do at the start. Because if we don't, we can go down some really strange paths and like miss out from hearing what God has to tell us from his word. So that being said, in our text today, I do think what the author is communicating to us, the thing that the original readers would have gleaned from from this passage, does revolve around the innocence of David. As both David and Achish felt like he's being falsely accused. And I think that's what the author is presenting to us because it seems like that's the theme running throughout the passage. So just look back with me again. So let's see this in verse 3. Achish responded back to the commanders and their concerns by saying, David has been with me for a long time since he departed Saul, and I found no fault in him to this day. Okay, then dropping down in verse 6. As the commanders explained why they were concerned and why they would not be swayed by their thoughts, Achish goes to David to tell him the news by saying, for I found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming uh, to me to this day. Okay, then drop it down again, verse 8. As David was given this information from Achish, he responded back by saying, But what have I done? What have you found in my life over the years that proved my guilt from keeping me to go fight against the enemies of my lord, the king? Okay, then drop down one last time, verse 9. Achish back to David. I know that you are blameless in my sight as an angel of God. So, so I do think the emphasis of the text that the author wants us to have does revolve around like, the innocence of David, where David and Achish felt he's like being wronged by something he didn't do. I just mentioned at the start of the sermon, I'm sure we can all relate to those feelings. We all can relate to the sentiments of David's words in Psalm 109 that does seem to fall in line with our text today. So with all that being in mind, I do have four major thoughts for us from this text in line with these themes in terms of application in our own hearts um, before we close our time here. So first, as I think about false accusations, first, understand false accusations will come when we walk by faith. Okay, now, obviously, not all false accusations come uh, just because we're walking by faith. Like they can and do come in many, many areas of our life. But I do think we need to recognize and understand that when you and I, when we're walking by faith, trying to follow after the Lord, trying to keep his commandments, trying to accomplish his will, there's going to be false accusations made about us. That's actually a part of the sober declaration of the New Testament. It says, like, any man who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, like, you will be persecuted. So back in another text, why did the Philistines have such a hard time with David, even though in the text he's presented as innocent? Why? It's because of how David, in the past, acted by faith in God and all of the various battles that he fought for the Lord, which was captured in the popular song of Israel. Saul struck down his thousands, David his ten thousands. Now, just to illustrate this, let me just remind you some more of the details surrounding David and Goliath with our text alluded to in verse 4. So, if you remember that story, how Israel and Philistines were a bit of a staring contest with each other. Like, each side was on one mountain, and there was, like, this valley in between. And in the staring contest, like, neither side wanted to make the first move into battle, because that would require them to, like, leave their own high ground on the mountain, to go into the valley, to engage in battle with an opponent who still had their high ground. So you may remember in that staring contest, 
like this is going on day after day. And eventually, the giant man, Goliath, was like growing impatient. So eventually, he started to go down toward the valley, then shouting distance of Israel. And he would say like the most vile things he could say towards Israel, towards the God of Israel, with the hopes of trying to provoke Israel into the valley to fight. And one of the days, while Goliath was hurling his insults, David happened to be on the scene, like delivering to his big brother some supplies from home. And as David heard Goliath, by faith, remember this? By faith, he was like enraged, declaring, how could Israel let Goliath defile the Lord? By faith, then David goes and pleads with King Saul to let him go into the valley to take on the giant. By faith, David was like confident that the Lord was going to protect him as he fought for him. By faith, David entered into the valley without a sword or an armor. Remember, he only had a shepherd's sling and five stones. By faith, David flung the stone at the head of the Goliath, striking him down to the ground. By faith, David then runs over, takes the head of Goliath to cut off his head. Right? These are all acts of faith. Where time and time again, David moved by faith against the Philistines. Where by faith, David trusted in the Lord and fought for the Lord with the strength of the Lord. And because of all these acts of faith, this is why the Philistines, they hated him. This is why they made accusations against him. They hated David and his faith in the Lord. Now, to say it again, there are so many avenues in life that can lead us down to false accusations. But one area that almost guarantees it will happen is when you and I live by faith in God. Now, we don't have to have a martyr's complex over this or just assume that every time something like this happens because, like, how faithful we've been. But to say it again, this is a real part of our faith in God. We can't be surprised if and when it happens. And friends, if and when it happens, as difficult and as frustrating as it can be, if I can encourage you here, let me remind you of the words of Jesus, who said this, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Second. When we feel falsely accused, we must trust in God's good providential hand. The providential hand, he's like working all things together for the good of his people of faith. Okay, now, the most famous example of this in scripture is probably the story of Joseph. Remember that story? Remember he was like falsely accused of inappropriate behavior with his master's wife, things that he did not do. But because of the false accusations, Joseph actually was put into prison. In that story, we learned that that was the providential hand of God was all over that story. Because while Joseph was in prison, he was brought into a relationship with the Pharaoh of Egypt. And eventually, Joseph becomes the second in command over like, all of Egypt. And while Joseph was in that role, he was used by the Lord to sustain God's people from the severe drought that was in the area. False accusations meant for evil by those who gave him were providentially used by God to do good. And friends, I think that's actually the same thing we see in our text here with David. This is actually one of the more subtle yet powerful points of this passage. So we don't necessarily see this in our text today, but we're going to see this in an upcoming passages of our study. So our next study in chapter 30, so we see that God used the false accusations of the commanders to send David, indeed, back to Ziklag. And as David arrived on the scene, he learned the Amalekites just raided the area and captured David's wives. 
which sent David and his men into a different battle. A battle where David actually rescued his wives and all others who were captured by the Amalekites. If David went to war in our text today, he wouldn't have been present to rescue his family and to defend the people of his new home. Great good came in chapter 30 because David was sent home. Similarly, chapter 31 as David was defending his land, we read that Philistines and Israel did engage in battle. And we read in that battle, Saul was killed. Now, who knows if David was present for that battle against Israel. Perhaps he could have had a death or hand in the death of Saul to kill the Lord's anointed one, which would have soiled things for David as he moves into his kingly role, which we see in the book of 2 Samuel. It was God's good providential hand sent David home to spare David from bringing about great and lasting harm. Now, for us, church, not everything is good. False accusations, they're they're not good. But we have to trust God's promise that indeed he's working all things together for the good of his people, including things like this. Like Who knows how he might be using those things in our life? Third, if you think about this text, we need to understand we're never fully innocent. So last Sunday, I was really grateful to have everyone's favorite college minister, you know, our very own Uncle Wes, fill the pulpit and preach God's word to us. And primarily, I was grateful because I do appreciate all the insights that Wes has for us when he, when he preaches to us. But I was also grateful just to have an extra week to try to wrestle with this passage. Just because, honestly, it's confusing to me on a couple of fronts. So let me, let me try to explain so I, first, I'm just, I'm just confused by David here in this scene. Like, is he really wanting to go fight against Israel? As mentioned in 1 Samuel 28, it seemed like maybe he was trying to, you know, kind of weasel his way out, try to figure out how to get out of going up against Israel. But now in our text today, it's almost like he's like offended, he's frustrated, he's disappointed that the commanders in Achish are sending him home. Where in verse 6, it's almost like he's trying to like plead his case to go. Maybe he wanted to go because he actually was wanting to do the things that he was being accused of and churn and like attack the Philistines. But I don't think that's what the sense we get in the text. You know, for me, I thought they would have been like all over this command to go back home. Oh, yeah, please send me home. Yep, I agree. I'm not going to go against Israel. I just need to go back to Ziklag. But he didn't do that. It just seems kind of odd here with David. Maybe just more of an indication, you know, he's still trying to unwind for some of the burnout he had in chapter 27. So this extra week, this extra, really continued to try to understand and wrestle with David here. Second, second thing I continue to wrestle with, what I just said earlier, is that David's actually not fully innocent. Now, the text, it clearly presents David as innocent. And perhaps some of the things that the Philistines were accusing him, indeed he was innocent of. But David was not, like, fully innocent. Chapter 27, say it again. Like he was lying to Achish on where he was making raids. The past couple weeks, as I thought over and over about this passage, this is a reminder to me that in the end, none of us are truly innocent of everything. No, maybe given situations, we're innocent. But in the end, listen, we're all sinners. We all fall short. We're not innocent. Just something I do think we need to take account of in life. 
we're just not as innocent as we think we are. Which leads to the last thing I want to share this morning. There's some good news for us. Friends, there, there is one who is innocent. Which why they ultimately in the end, every passage is pointing us to. Whether it's passages like Psalm 109 or Psalm 129. All scripture is pointing us to the one who is innocent. Which is not David. But the one who is innocent came from David's line. Being born of a virgin. Who's given the name Jesus. Emmanuel. God with us. True God. True man. Friends, scripture is clear. That Jesus, he is the only one who lived a perfect life without sin. Yet, even though Jesus was fully innocent of all things, completely innocent, remember, it was Jesus who was brought before a court. Whereas he stood before the court, the chief priest, the whole council spoke false testimony against him. In fact, many false witnesses came against him, making false accusation after false accusation. For the Lord stood silent, like a sheep before the slaughter. And even though the court could find nothing to incriminate the Lord Jesus Christ, evil men still sentenced Jesus to die on the cross. Yet, yet, in that great evil act against innocent Jesus, that's where the Lord was doing the ultimate good. Because it's on the cross, innocent Jesus stood in the place of guilty sinners, just like you, just like me. Where Jesus proved to be the eternal, spotless Lamb of God, who came to bear the judgment of God in our place. Where innocent Jesus died for guilty sinners, only for Jesus to rise again on the third day. And friend, the promise of God, the promise that the scripture pleads with us, is that if any and all who by faith turn from sin and turn to Jesus, they would find forgiveness. By faith, they would be justified in the courtroom of God. With the righteous innocence of Jesus, sinless Jesus, counted as their righteousness. By faith. Not only that, the promise, not only God would declare us to be righteous, but the promise that he would adopt us into his eternal family to be his precious children. So that we have the great, incredible promise to be with him forever and ever when our Lord returns in a kingdom that will not end. So church, wherever you and I may feel wronged, let those times drive us to the only one who is innocent, the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we, by faith, Trust in him. Whether for some here, maybe to trust in him for the first time. Or for others to trust in him just for this next time. But trust in Jesus Christ, who is the great high priest, who can sympathize with us in all of our weakness, yet without sin. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he remained silent to be the spotless Lamb of God, to bear the judgment of sinners 
upon himself. And Lord, I do pray that our little church family here would trust in Jesus in all things. I pray so in Jesus' name. Amen.